G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan that hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe and good hunting. Good evening, uh, Ned and Ian. Um, and to our listeners, tonight we have with us Ned Macon. Now, uh, Ned Macon is very well known in the pig-dogging uh, circles. Uh, in fact, he's probably also v- equally well known for his work with the old um, game council before it mm. turns into the GLU. And for a lot of Queensland hunters, especially Queensland hunters who hunted in uh, state forests in New South Wales, Ned was uh, pretty much a, a fixture. You'd be in the middle of nowhere and Ned, who was the uh, the area coordinator would it, for New England, which was a fairly sized chunk of land, would appear out of nowhere. Give you a give you a blaze orange hat, give you a mat, give you a couple of stickers, and uh, wish you on your way. And also uh, was also a, a font of knowledge for many people. And I think even Reese mentioned you in his conversation about helping him get um, started. So good evening, Ed, and thanks for taking the time to be with us. Yeah, good day, fellas. It's um, I really appreciate the opportunity. It's um, um, I like what you guys have been doing too. I think that that. We need more um, hunting to be more more accessible. Uh, I think that's been a great trend over the last couple of decades, where it used to be this secret squirrel type of um, thing. And the um, so, some of one one of the great advantages, I think, with with technology, and there's a few negatives, but one of the great advantages that we've got at the moment is that we can share information. I just see no reason why we wouldn't do that. I think there was a lot. You know, people were driven a lot by ego in the past or fear or something like that, you know. But particularly with public land hunting, um, there's, there's there's plenty for everyone. There's plenty of space. There's plenty of uh, opportunities. Um, yeah, so I like what you're doing. So congratulations on how it's gone. Good on you, Ned. Thank you. I think it's um, bang on, super important to try and um, share as much as we can, but also, I mean, we're not going to single-handedly become a voice for the community, but but at least try and get people to band together a little bit, whatever their hunting flavour is, because, you know, it's w- with the volumes of people that are in this sport or pastime or activity uh, and the new ones that will come along that will really drive the, the outcomes we're looking for and hopefully that one day will be um, public land in Queensland. But a uh, long way to go with that. I was talking about that with a, um, a representative of a, another hunting organisation only yesterday and um, I was sharing some research that we'd had, we'd picked up. Um, He wanted to get hold of it and um, so um, our organisation, the Australian Pig Doggers and Hunters Association, we're we're happy to share whatever we know and and what I said to him was that, um, you know, we're all in different canoes but we're all hopefully paddling in the same direction. So there's, um, there's, there is that opportunity for everybody to gain. Uh, another one favourite saying of mine is a rising tide lifts all ships. So it's very nautical today mm. for a non-fisherman. But the um, if we all help and we all um, reinforce a common set of values, 
we go ahead. Mm. If we're in little pockets and divided and, you know, arguing or try, trying to conceal things from one another, we go backwards. There's, uh, there's enough reasons for us to be going backwards anyway. There's enough threats, there's enough challenges. There's, um, you know, as you said, Queensland, um, the, the dream there is to have public land hunting. There's no reason why you can't. Uh, it is just a matter of um, uh, being in, in the position to catch the ball when it bounces your way. Yeah, it's you know? a good point. It is. Um, and I really like, you know, I really like the idea of, the, you know, the, the kind of prosperity model where we all can, if we can all share, and you're certainly right, for a long, long time, um, hunting was not the game for mates. It was the secret squirrel. If you had a bit of access, you guarded it with uh, with with everything you had and you did not let people, you know, you did not share, you didn't let know. And I think one of the great strengths of public land hunting is by its very nature, it's designed to be open access. Mm. And so it promotes it promotes all those things that we we've come to really like, you know, discussing it, having having open forums and I, I kind of think about it, you know, your nautical thing, I kind of think about it as the the hunting as as the food court, you know. If it's big enough, it caters for everyone, and that's the mm. idea. You know, mm. I, I think uh, the the competitive tensions that is, that has existed between the different types of hunting, I think, is really just waste of time and energy. Um, mm -hmm. um, I, I've always said, I'd, I'd, I'd if I was if I was braver, I'd, I'd love to have a go uh, dogging, and I reckon, I reckon <laughs> boys would be in there for sure. Certainly, my youngest one, mate, he, he he's I think he's bound to be. He's he's on he's on the the dogger track, you know, he's got, yeah. he's got look, it. And, and it's definitely not bravery, you know, like the dogs are brave. Um, we're just sort of working with that, but the um, yeah, like if uh, uh, well, well, anyway, if, if I stay alive long enough, I'll take him out. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that in mind, how about look, you and uh, you know, for, for, for such a young bloke, you've had lots of experience. Ah. Why, why don't you give us an idea of, of, of your hunting experience and, and how you your journey along in hunting? Because I think oh. a lot of people will be interested in that. Yeah, oh, well, I don't, I don't know how many, but um, look, the the easiest way I can define it, because people say, why do you like hunting? You know, I, I don't really know. Um, it wasn't like I woke up one day and I wanted to be a hunter. Um, but I... Uh, I loved Daniel Boone, the TV show, when I was a kid. And it was the full Fest Parker thing with the, he was throwing the hatchet and split the tree. And I was just going, oh, oh, yeah, I want to carry a hatchet. You know, I want to carry a knife. I want to get around with a flintlock. I want to, you know, be with his bears. And as a little kid, it was told to me the other day that I told some wild story. I mean, little, like four. I told some wild story about seeing a bear. And uh, they just put it down to me being a lunatic. Um, but what it was, of course, was the Daniel Byrne influence. So I wanted to be Daniel Byrne. I wanted to trap. I wanted to, you know, have a bloody, yep. you know, raccoon skin cap. That'd be good now, actually. I could do with a old raccoon skin head. I'm hearing you. But the, um, but the, it just, it just went ding in my head when I was little. I just went, that looks like the go. So it came about inadvertently in that. Um, we were on a property, but it didn't go well. And Dad, it was a soldier settlement block, and some of those were um, good blocks, and some of them weren't. And this wasn't a particularly good block, but it kept all these, um, you know, World War Two guys occupied for a certain amount of time, and that was part of the tactic, of course, because you 
had some fairly um, um, keen, fit and dangerous blokes just all land back in the country at the same time. So one of the things was to get them onto these blocks of land. We'd come off a block of that block of land um, because we'd had a, uh, got onto it and had about 10 years of drought and it was just a disaster. Um, and so we came into town. So all my siblings grew up on the farm uh, and I was about three when I came to town and I'm just in town. And so luckily the river wasn't far away. So I'd just sneak off to the river and frolic about there and much to everyone's concern. Um, but eventually, through a whole series of events, um, I ended up with a tiny little dog called Toy. Um, and there's bikies and all, all sorts of things involved. It's, it's a ridiculous story. Anyway, I ended up with Toy, who was the toughest dog to this day that I've ever owned. Um, and he was a little corgi-coloured terrier cross thing in the meantime, Dad, who was a horseman, uh, he wasn't a dog person at all. He was hopeless with dogs, very good with horses, very good with stock. And he um, that he gradually started moving back out of town, you know, as things improved, uh, as the money came through and all that sort of thing. He started a saddlery and uh, started making some money and all that sort of thing. So we moved slightly out of town and I've got Toy the dog. Uh, and initially, I start, and Dad was the secretary of the Inverell Common Trust. That's a, um, a national park now, just near Inverell. So the common was on the edge of a lot of um, rural communities, particularly in New South Wales. I don't know about elsewhere, I'm afraid. Um, and that was where, you know, if you had a milking cow, that's where you could put the milking cow. So if you had no land. So he was the secretary of the Common Trust, because we always had extra horses or, you know, cows with. Dad was still killing sheep in the laundry in town and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It was full on. But it was had a lot of rabbits on it and this place. So I would ride up there in my push bike. I'd finish school, get on the push bike, ride up there on the push bike, hide the push bike. Um, I'd be carrying toy under the arm like this. Um, and we'd just walk. And toy couldn't catch a rabbit, but he wouldn't give up. So eventually they'd go to ground. So then we'd spend hours and hours and I, I was so green, I didn't have a, anything to dig with. I just used sticks or anything, you know, just for hands, or, you know, like this, and toy would be digging. And on a great day, we'd get a, a rabbit, you know, <laughs> and we'd dig it out and I'd, you know, drag it out and we'd kill it and, you know, I knew how to kill them and all that sort of stuff. So on one fantastic day, I got three. And that I, I was walking. We were actually walking in the National Park about a month ago. And I was with uh, uh, my family called Super Jen. Uh, that's not her real name. Jen is a real name. But I call her Super Jen because she just lives with all of this madness, you know. And uh, I was walking along and I said, that's the spot. And she said, is that the three rabbit spot? I said, that's the rabbit spot, right. Uh. <laughs> and it's, it's right on Lake Inverell, which used to be just the reservoir. But now it's Lake Inverell and it's full of Murray Cod and all that sort of stuff. Any of your listeners who are into Murray Cod come to Inverell. That's where they are. Um, but it was such a huge thing for me every day, you know. And then I got Doug the horse. Um, and I'd always I'd had horses, you know, but Doug the horse was um, bomb-proof. So um, you, nothing phased Doug, n nothing at all. So uh, I got uh, so that I could I'd ride the horse from home and I'd get uh, Toy the dog to jump up onto my stirrup and then he'd climb up my leg until I could ca catch him you know so I'm young teens here 
and then I'd get him up on the pommel of the saddle and we'd ride off. And then uh, we, uh, Doug got so into it, the horse, that if he saw a rabbit go, he'd just go. And <laughs> so that's good if it's this way. Not so good if it's that way. So he would just turn and go. And that's how my head would be. I'd be just and gone. And so toy would be hanging on. Eventually I'd lower toy off the off the side of the horse. He would in and I'd always think this is gonna be like the cartoons, you know, the dog's legs are going like this, and he'd be starting to run. And I'd drop him. It's just a disaster every time he would just crash and burn and then get up and just go, you know. <laughs> no finesse and landing. No, no, no landing whatsoever. It was just absolute, it was an absolute circus. And he was tough, like beyond tough, this thing. Um, so like back when, when there were fox, actual fox terriers about, and uh, he was a crossbred one of those with probably with two hours by the look of him. Um, I should have organised a photo of it. It's uh, I'll, I'll try to get one to you. It's He's a funny little dog. But anyway, so he'd just crash. Then we'd be galloping after the rabbit trying to drive it into a log. Logs were best because you could block one end straight away and then just stick your hand up there and gradually... You know, you could work your way in. I still wasn't carrying any tools. It never occurred to me to have like a hatchet or a, you know, rabbit trap center or anything like this. I hadn't even started trapping at that stage. Were you doing this instead of going to school? Um, not exactly. I was doing it instead of doing any school work. If I could. Um, just wondering if the schooling might have gone missing. Uh, <laughs> Formal education is woeful. Um, I've I gave actually I gave my school port to my second son. He was wanted something to put his buddy, you know, ammo in and things like that. Um, you know, before you had to have everything, you know, a certain way. And uh, on the inside of it, you, I've still got there's still writing from me in year eleven or twelve, writing down what I was supposed to be. You know, comment on a soliloquy by, you know, so-and-so in Shakespeare or something. Oh, I never did any of it because I just I just couldn't. I just couldn't be bothered. Yep. Um, and so I just eventually, I went from a Catholic school to a public school uh, for the final few years of, of, um, of high school. It was fantastic because they just said, uh, yep, we, we know you think you're funny. Just don't disrupt the class and we'll leave you be. And I just went, oh, sweet, you know. Because at the Catholic school, you were sinning. And so they were worried about my soul. And at the public school, they didn't care about my soul. They just wanted me to shut up. And so <laughs> I just wander about and do a little thing. And um, But, yeah, so as soon as any chance I got to sneak away, I did. I wasn't like this wild truant, but I just had no value to me. And, like, we'd go away. We'd sneak off to watch... Um, you know, Ali's fights, you know, like it was that age. Like I'm 61, so that's going back a ways. But the um, the hunting was that the moment I got out would be get home, get organised, get on the horse, get the dog, go. And I'd be back at dark. And the rabbit would just be used for dog food, for toy, you know. And that was our life. And then, so that was all good. And I was, I was always asking about, I don't know why, but I was always asking about pigs because Dad had come from Kruble. Uh, which is near Cropper Creek, which is not far from Moree. And mm -hmm. I was always asking about pigs and just yeah. going, well, what about pigs? What, you know, rah, rah, rah. And I'd been shown a, a good lump of a boar once by a cousin of mine. Um, and I was just, I just shat myself, you know, I just, what, what, you know, I was quite little and 
you know, rah, rah, rah. Well, certainly in the guts department, I was pretty little. I was probably 20. No, no, I would have been about 10. But anyway, um, so I was fascinated with pigs because they just seemed to me to be some sort of prehistoric dangerous thing that was somehow related to um, lots of danger. And I was going, oh, that's the thing. If we can't hunt bears, then I want to hunt pigs because they, they seem like they might fight back, you know. Rabbits could fight back, but it was only scratching stuff. You know, I just sort of felt like I wanted, I just wanted to know what, what it was like. So eventually, Dad organised for a bloke who turned out to be a very famous pig hunter, Ian Colley, um, and he's not active now, but his dogs are still around, and um, he started the Boar Dog site, um, which was the first Australian uh, forum for pig hunting the way we do. Before that, there was just American ones. So that's back in uh, 99, something like that, you know. Um, but anyway, so that was 1975. Um, and he and Gobby O'Brien, who are famous pig hunters here, um, and Jeff O'Brien, who uh, has since left us, RLP Jeff, um, they took us up onto this property and it was up in the mountains. And my God, it was a revelation because they had a couple of good hard dogs. Uh, they had uh, Sandy and Soup Hound. Soup Hound was short for Super Hound. Uh, <laughs> we weren't great name of dogs, Toy Super Hound. You know, like, anyway, that wasn't our thing. But they took us up there and it was blackberries and pigs and dogs grabbing them and stuff like this. And I was just, it was like a drug. I just went, okay. Okay, so this is what we're doing now. This is what we have to do. So it was probably two more years before I was able to get started. And then I got started and um, uh, let's say 1977, 78. So it's about, I don't know, whatever it is, 43 years or something, I suppose. Um, and I haven't stopped. It's just I haven't got sick of it yet. I do things differently. Um but that there's just nothing. And where I go, incidentally, I'm back on the place I was first taken. So when huh. and when I was 15, um, I've got access there now. Um, and it, that's that's quite an interesting experience, you know, when you're a little kid. I stabbed myself up there when I was about 19. Stabbed, I fell over on a knife, stabbed myself in the throat and um, <laughs> could have bled out, but I didn't. And I hunt, I walk that same track now and just think, yeah, gee, you know, don't get the knife out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, if someone says don't run with scissors, don't run with scissors. It's, it doesn't end well. But anyway, uh -huh. so it's just been this mad passion and I don't know why, but I just do what I want to do. You know, like I'm, I think sometimes people get into things because they think it'll be this or that they'll look a certain way. Um, and that could be anything, you know, I don't mean hunting uh, necessarily. But for me, it's not like I've got a choice. It's just all I'm really interested in. So that's my whole life has been around that. Every job I've ever taken, I worked in the media for 30 years, every job I took, there had to be pigs there. So I, I knocked back jobs in Sydney. I knocked back jobs in Brisbane, but I went to, I went from Inverell to Tamworth, um, Rockhampton, Moree, back to Tamworth, Townsville, um, 
Bundaberg, Gladstone, and back to Inverell. So everywhere had to have pigs, and everywhere I was able to get onto the country to hunt. Um, and that just that satisfied me. I'm not I'm clearly I'm not rich, and that's largely because money's meant nothing to me other than how we got enough for the diesel. Can we get to the vets and uh, make a deal with them so that we've got a way of keeping the dogs in tip-top order? Um, and it's just been, um, I guess the nearest thing I could say is, is that it has been just like a a, um, a drug to me. Like it, it's it's what I want to do. It's I think about pigs. I think about where they are. I try to, when, when I was younger, um, I just, it was all energy. I was just charging around, running around, you know. I'd crash into pigs. Oh, fantastic. Um, and I was very lucky and I cracked a very good place when I was probably 18 or 19. And they ha had an absolute plague of pigs to send on them. Just an absolute, like you've never seen anything like it. Um, and we we just caught a shit ton of pigs and big, big pigs. You know, I just thought every boar was over 100 kilos, you know, because that's just what we were hitting. But it was because they were displaced. And they, in retrospect, when I look back on it, they were displaced by a big drought. And they came up uh, a watershed and crossed over into another watershed. And they just appeared. Uh, and you'd draw any, any time of the day, you'd just go there and there'd just be a big ball walk out because they didn't have all their paths worked out. I didn't know they had paths and tracks and ways that they escaped at that stage. I just thought, oh, shit, here's another one, you know. And... Uh, that that was an education um, for good and ill. Um, lots of handling great big pigs and and you know just yeah. And I was fit, of course. I was only a late teenager and um, fit as a snake. And we walked everywhere, um, so you were you were good at handling them. Um, but bad in that I didn't have to think. They were just there. They were just in front of us, you know. And at night, if you went around with a spotlight, you could see. Are we the, the first paddock we looked in on this place? Um, we counted over 60 in about three different mobs. We're just in the middle of the morning, we just sort of looked over this ridge and went, Oh, Jesus, look at this. <laughs> and on the way down, we thought, Oh, we'll go down and we'll get to all these pigs. On the way down, we ran into another mob coming up the hill, and it was just a circus, and <laughs> you know, so it was, I was terribly spoiled to begin with, uh, and I was. I couldn't be told anything. I was just all go forward and no brains whatsoever. Um, and blokes have tried to educate me and I just want to do stuff by myself. I just want to be by myself. I just want to be out there and just Daniel booning around because he was always by himself. So, um, so it's taken a long time to actually slow up enough to put it together, you know, like, okay, so we're here and the wind's blowing that way and it's this time of the 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 day when the moon's there uh and what what's the date today so the pig will be there you know it's like you get you get to the point where you can predict um where you're going to bump into things and i think that's the that's a um when you get onto a whole other level of in, of interest set aside the dogs and the breeding and the training and all that sort of stuff but when you get into it enough where you can start to predict um, where, where a, a big pig's going to be. Um, that's the thing I love. I love 
and I, I I share that with with anyone who'll ask. You know, I'll give them my advice on. I'll get them to do. They'll ring me, and I'll say, um, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, I keep missing this ball. And I'll ask him what the, what he's doing. Da 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 da. And then I'll say, okay, so then did he do this? And I go, oh, yeah, he did. I said, okay, so he's living over there. That what you're striking is where he's just feeding out. You know, and so sometimes that might involve them having um, two people. You know, one to make the pig run and one to intercept the pig halfway up the mountain, you know. And it's there's some very good big boar hunters around, better than me, no doubt. Um, and some of them will share information. But sometimes all you need is just one or two tips. And if you're keen enough, you can put things together. I, I call it uh, triangulation. So, you know, if, if this is a fact and that's a fact and then that becomes a fact, Everything within that middle area then gels. You can go, okay, so if all those things are in place, that means a thing, you know. And I've been a bit pleased. One of my jobs with the Australian Pig Doggers and Hunters Association is um, looking for research, like proper research, not just opinion and not just um, with no disrespect to my friends in the public service, but not just stuff that a government department puts out. I mean, actual scientists, you know, sciencing around in their white coats. And I love looking for stuff like that about um, animal behaviour. And uh, some of the things that we worked out when we were hunting turned out to be verified by the science, you know. Um, and that's been probably the most exciting thing for me to go my god it's it's not just random there's not just random stuff going on there's there's a range of predictable behaviors with dogs with pigs you know with deer you've got you know any of your deer hunters would already know that at certain times of the year this is going to happen the same stuff's going on for pigs and people don't realize it you know um because what people see with pigs is a big mob of pigs I don't see that one pig. The one, that's the one you're looking for. And the, the one pig that you're looking for might be 100 metres from that mob of pigs. And one of the first things I say to people, as soon as you strike a mob of pigs, look left and right and just keep looking left and right. You know, that mob of pigs, you'll be able to keep them in your peripheral vision, but look left and right and keep looking, look for an open ridge and you might, you'll just you'll see some monster just sneaking off to the side. Mm. So it's not, a, he lives there. He's not just randomly going through and then he's going to fly to mars but they live they live in in um they, they live in their own little area so there's mob boars there's um um you know big boars and there's the dominant boar and the dominant boar he he just he just lives there you know he might have five k's 20 k's of area but he lives there and you'll see signs every now and then that he's there that's what that's what I like looking for, you know. Okay. Anyway, there's a whole lot going on. It's it's from the outside, it just looks like a mob of buffheads running around chasing pigs, and so, some of that's true. I, I am a buffhead, and I like to chase pigs. But what I really like to do is to find the pig, not just a mm. pig, the pig, you know. And and you do find them, you know. And it's a it's a tremendous thing. Like for instance, we did a uh, a little sort of experiment once. Um, saw these big tracks, big tracks, big, big tracks, you know, like, you know what a, a Garmin dog tracking unit looks like? So long as that, 
from front to back, not sprossed out, out not sort of squashed out in the mud. Just that's what was in the dust. You know, Jesus, this is a great big pig, and you'd see these tracks every now and then. So set up cameras, you know, rah rah rah, and eventually, oh, there he is. That's him. That's got to be him. Like that's a massive pig. Um, and then start. You sort of go from there and start trying to you know, pin where where, where he's going. To cut a long story short, he was coming into he was coming from about three or four k's away, and he was coming into a stubble crop, and he would stay in there for about fifteen minutes, and then go and he'd go out a different hole. And that was that was sort of a shocking revelation, because you'd think a great big pig is going to spend an hour in there you know but when you think about it logically and the more you learn when you get to a certain age and you guys have yet to hit that age but when you get to a certain age it's really easy to hold weight you don't need like a male animal doesn't need much to hold weight we're not fighting bears anymore and you know holding off vikings or anything like that we're sitting around watching television and having a beer and it just sits on us now big boars don't they're not doing anything they'll come out and mate maybe three times a year rest of the time they're just sitting about you know so they that once they're a certain size they don't have to keep eating i'm not talking about a big young pig in the cane or something like that i'm talking about a big pig in the hills he's only he doesn't need to eat much plus he's only out for a little while he doesn't leave a lot of scent around and he's back in his little place where he knows where to run you know so some of those pigs in the past when i was still learning See, we found a lot of them within 100 to 200 metres of a homestead and they would sit on a ridge behind a homestead. One of them used to come down and eat the bloody sheepdog's food. Out of the, I got a call about, oh, this thing, come and get this thing. It's eating all the sheepdog's food. You know, I was going to get what? Anyway, it was living in a blackberry bush about 150 metres from the homestead. So because we used to think, oh, well, as soon as you spook a big pig, he's just going to run like in a straight line, but they don't. They just run until they sort of get work out what's going on. And then they they learn there's nothing smarter than a ball pig, I'll tell you. They 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 learn sight, sound, smells, everything. They'll uh, it's one of the reasons I say to people, uh, say to young blokes, sometimes just drive like a cocky. Don't be sneaking around and being super careful and out in the middle of the night, you know. I don't know how many cockies have said to me, you know, I don't know why you go out at night. Like, there's a big boar comes down to this dam every morning at 11 o'clock. You know, part of it is that they don't see a threat mm. from lots of landholders because yeah. they're always carrying rifles like they used to. Like when I was a kid, every cocky, well, you know, a lot of them were bloody return servicemen. They all they were always armed. Um, so they uh, they'd always have a rifle. They just shoot a big pig. You know, but that's not as common now certainly on farms like on some some it is but on lots of farms there's just no rifle like not in the vehicle so pigs learn different sounding vehicles they learn different driving patterns i just say to like sometimes just sometimes just stop and go and clang through the gate and yell at the dogs ah you know you idiot <laughs> um go and bloody hang around a trough splash a bit of water fiddle around drive off muck about with a fence you know just do anything that might be out of the ordinary. And uh, and it's very, very exciting when someone contacts you and says, I did that. You're not going to believe it. And I said, yeah, I'll believe it. I bet you got one. Yeah, I did. It just was in this gully. And, you know, because they, then they fit, they can, 
This will sound insane, but I think they can feel intent, and I think all animals can feel intent. Um, so, it's like if when I, I bow hunted for a while, when I was bow hunting, I wouldn't stare at an animal. Because sooner or later, if you're staring at them, in my experience, they turn around and just look straight in your eyes. Mm -hmm. They would see either the, but like the any any prey animal is going to be sensitive to binocular vision. Mm. That's, that's, binocular vision is all shit for a prey animal. That's not, that's not going to end well. That's something is judging the distance between them, between it and the prey animal. So I just wouldn't stare at them, and you can get ridiculously close. If you don't keep looking, if you just move and you know all that sort of stuff, because I I don't know whether it's what they can see. But certainly in a vehicle, I think I think pigs can pick intent. I think deer certainly can. I see a lot of deer, Absolutely. and they just ignore me. Like I could say. Well, it's crack, it's interesting, know? isn't it? Because how many times have you bumped into an animal, and it would have seen you coming for ages? But it's only when you stop and you see it and then you make eye contact with it that it gets up and bugs up. Yeah. You could have walked straight past that animal. It probably wasn't going to move. But oh, the fact oh, that you've looked at it. That's one of the things I often say to people when they when they say they're going to hunt a state forest for the first time, you know, and they say, look, oh, we're going to move around until we spot game. And I said, when you're driving, if you spot game, don't hit the brakes. Mm. Don't mm. hit the brakes. Because I, I reckon every pig in Nundle associates the slamming of brakes with the dog hitting the ground very soon after, you know. Oh, yeah. So I just said, just, just keep driving and just slowly just move on a little bit and stop and then get yourself ready, take it easy, get out, and then move off into the scrub. Don't hit the brakes and go, oh, there's an animal. Okay, let's go, guys. Let's get ready. Let's bail out. Because the first thing that happens is the animal's, gone from zero to 100 in about three yeah. strides and it's going but as you drive past them like especially in a place like nundle if we're going to talk about nundle and hanging rock you can drive past a big bore there like people drive past them all the time because it's a, there's a main road right through it there's logging trucks go through it they don't feel any threat from those if you pull up they they, they feel a threat and they will begin to go if you pull up going oh there he is oh, then they know it's on and they will go go but I, yeah again you're absolutely right there's another thing I can add to that too, but you're absolutely right. If you drive, just drive past the bastard. It's not going to be, it's not going to take off. If you just come back like bow hunting, shooting, you know, with dogs, come back steadily. If you've got dogs, just come back steadily. Don't be suling them on. Don't overhype them. If they've got any ability at all, they'll pick up that scent and they'll, they'll get him in there about a hundred meters. You know, he might've just moved into the closest blackberry bush and just said, I'll, I'll sit this out. But one of the other things I was going to say, if you're walking through Nundle, with dogs or, you know, with a bow or with a rifle, but any state forest for this matter, um, but I, I spent a lot of time at Nundle, um, stop about every 80 metres and look behind you. And, gee, there's a surprising number of those times there'll be a good animal just stick his head out and walk across huh. behind you. There's a, tip, there's a tip I've not heard before. All oh, right. All right. That's, yeah, that's look a good up. one. I'll guarantee yeah. that one because they, right. they, they'll, they'll sit off to the side they know you're there. They all know you're there. But when people say, oh, it's shot out and it's this and that, it's not shot out. God, I've been, I've been going to Nundle since, since oh, probably 80, it would have been 1986, 
the first time I went there with Kevin Butters, 87. Um, and he had the trapping license up there. So he was up there legally. You know, that's the way it used to be done. And I went up there with him and, um, and so there were pigs and deer and everything there then. There still are pigs and deer. It's a, it's a fantastic place because there's a lot of places for animals to hide and breed, and not just in the forest, but in the state, in the national parks and all that sort of thing. But they're under a lot more pressure now and they're cautious. So they're, they're listening for the vehicle and they're listening for blokes going, get hold of him, you know. It always, I, I used to do that and now I'm embarrassed. I mean, you don't have to tell a dog to do that. If they're gonna, if they're gonna do it, they're gonna do that, you know. But that's that sort of, you know, people are very excited. So th that'll just drive that pig another three or 400 metres. And in country like that, three or four, 500 metres yeah, is a that's nightmare. That's a long way. Yeah, well, yep. that's gone. That's it. That's my yeah. well you might be talking, you might as well be talking kilometres. Yep. That idea is turning around, uh, uh, and Tim does that. Yeah, right. That that is a that is a Tim move. We'll be walking along, on, you know, State Forest, Severn, anywhere like that, and he'll just he just turns around and just keeps around and just you know, and he does it, you know, not every eighty metres, but he does it very, and even does it on private land as well. Mm. It's just something he does. He'll just turn around. Because that's it. They're just waiting for you to pass. Yeah. yeah. And it only, it's only got to work once. And you might get the animal of your life. You know? Oh, that's it. Yeah. It was interesting when you're talking about the, the way that, that, you know, a boar holds off. I was had the opportunity. Yeah. A, my mate said, look, I want, you know, his bucket list, he wanted to go hunting. So I, I, I thought long and hard about it. So I organised to go up on a, on a paid property. And he never never hunted before, and so there was a there was a whole weekend about getting him right for the rifle and all that kind of thing, and he got him onto a mob of pigs, and he he shot a pig, and the first thing he realised was as soon as he hit it, it didn't necessarily it didn't stop, you know. But I said, oh, you've got it, it's going, and it, you know, he goes, oh, I've missed it, and I said, no, 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 yeah, but it, you know, and in twenty metres, it's on the ground. But what happened was. There was this grey boar amongst them, and he, as exactly as he was saying, he was just off the mob, and the mob didn't know we was, we were there, but he did, and he just slowly drifted off. Mm. And uh, when the when the shot came and the mob went one way, he just went the other way, and I actually said, "I'm getting that's my pig," and I got him two days later. But the same thing, he was always just drifting away from from the mob and you see um big billies do that as well yeah yeah you know, if, you, if you really want a good you know public land billy uh he won't be with the mob he'll be just off the top just sitting down watching them. And as soon as the the you know the, the the danger's present the first thing you do he'll just drift away yeah and they do it they do it um uh, surreptitiously like they're they're not making a big clatter and a big this and a big, a big that it's surprising how and you've hunted some deer. It's surprising how fast a big animal can disappear. Oh yeah. yeah. But day. you can see you can see it walking behind a bush, and you can see all angles around that bush, but you never see it leave. It's there. And it's yeah. not there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they go into a portal and just you know they appear somewhere else, five k's away. So Ned, one of the, I mean, one of the, as I said when we first started, you know, for a lot of us, the, the, the first time we, we came into contact with you was through the through the game council and your role within the as game council. So 
give us a little bit of rundown around that was and how you got there and and your time with with, with the game council as the uh, what was it you were the coordinator uh, for, no, um, game manager was the was the title game manager for uh, New England what a title what a title yeah. to have a game manager and it was for the uh, I was the northern game manager so my area went from Newcastle to Broken Hill um, and then everywhere north of that yeah. So it was it was insane. It was absolutely insane. Um, so the the key things in that though is I had all those good New England forests in the Pilliga. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of my job was education, and part of it was um, law enforcement. So, um, but uh, I worked at a course, so I had to be out inspecting things lots. And that's why I'd bump into blokes like you because I'd be going to inspect something, seeing what was going on, you know, <laughs> out the situation. Now yeah, I'll, I'll be back in a day or so. Blue, blue dog, the red leader. I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm proud reception. You know. Oh, good day. How are you? It was, it was great like that. And I worked with a couple of really good people. You know, I, I had some some good fun, and they were keen hunters. Um, and it was interesting hunting people because you've got your serial poachers. So. They've got a lot more sophisticated at it now, but we we were basically just lurking, <laughs> lurking around and like we'd mark tracks, you know, and um, oh, vehicles been over that between, you know, two o'clock and three o'clock. That'll be, that's down here. That's a dead end. I'll be here, you know. Um, we, we tracked one bloke one night uh, by the rum cans. Oh. <laughs> not joking, not joking. He's going, oh, this bastard just deserves to get kicked out of his swag. You know, like this is just appalling. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, and it was snowing, and it was just everything, you know. So, and it was, I used to take it almost personally because just going, there's this great system, you know, great system. There's plenty of animals. All you have to do is sign up for this license. Why not, why not just do that, you know? Because I'd got my R license when they first came out. Um, I got it because uh, I wasn't very savvy about the politics of it all or anything at that stage, and I had plenty of private country. But I just thought, oh, well, if they see how many hunters there are, I had no intention of using it, but if they see how many hunters there are, it's going to be, you know, like we're going to be something. We're going to be a group. Like we're not just these, we're not just all going to be sort of idiots wandering around the bush by ourselves. So I got it. My secondary thing was I just went, oh, what if they just say from tomorrow, everyone who hasn't got a license to hunt can't hunt. I'm going to have my license just in case, you know. So I knew enough to know that, well, the way governments can work, as I said, it worked in the the media. So I'd seen, you know, I'd seen stuff. and I saw how things could be indicators of what was coming. Um, so I was a supporter of the concept um, well before I had anything to do with the game council itself or anything. But anyway, so eventually I was, um, I was I was just working here. I'd given up newspapers and whatnot, and I was just working for myself, and I'd gone labouring. I got sick of newspapers, and I went labouring, and then I built a business out of that. And then um, I'd seen the job come up a couple of times in this zone and I was just saying what's that about that sounds like it might be interesting you know like do I what how do I what do you do here you know anyway I was I didn't do anything about it and then I saw the job advertised and went 
I don't know, I'm going to ask about this. You know, that's a couple of times now. That's a sign, you know. So I asked about it and they were, uh, for whatever reason, they, they gave me a go. And then they gave me this ridiculous area. It's half the state. And, uh, oh, well, you know, you've got to patrol it and, you know, keep order. Well, I'm not keeping order over that much of the state. I'm, there's no way. Plus, I'm a, you know, chubby 40-year-old man. So, you know, we, we're going to have to work something else out. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was about bloody 48 or something. Anyway, so, um, but that, that, there ensued sort of, um, you know, a lot of, I really enjoyed the helping hunters. Anyone, anyone who put their hand up and wanted to wanted to learn, I'd tell them anything I knew. Um, or I, uh, I had other people who were who were hunting and they were telling me where they were getting animals and all that sort of stuff. And I said, I want to, you know, I want to tell people. And I said, Yeah, yeah, sure, you know. So I'd be able to say, Go down that road, um, park there. Plus, I knew some of the areas. I said, Park there, head over that ridge. You're going to bump into something between there and there. You will, you know, but. Not today, but maybe tomorrow morning, you know, rah, rah, rah. And, you know, Blake's would have some success, and I'd just feel fantastic. It was like mm. I was hunting myself, you know. Um, so I enjoyed that. I left them, though, because when they changed um, to the uh, uh, the GLU, what happened was um, the Game Council, you know, just um, it, it could have been managed better, I'll tell you that now. So I just potted about and... Uh, you know, then just started my little business up again. The way I went. I remember once you were—you must have been working with them at the time—and either you were, you, you and I were talking, or you're publicising. You're you're out somewhere west of Pilliga, and you're in swamp country. And I remember what I remember of most was, at, whilst you were describing this hell on earth, you were always describing it with this joyful glee. <laughs> like, this is the worst place in the world. I'm so happy. <laughs> I remember I thought, that, yeah, that, I thought that is just, you know, there's a man loving his job, you know. Yeah. Mm. Oh, look, there were tremendous aspects to it. And the base theory was fantastic. Uh, and it's gone on to be bigger and better now, you know. Um, like it's it's a much better machine now. Uh, it's much better run. It's um, uh, yeah, just everything about it's better. There's there's more land opening. There's more nighttime pig hunting. There's the rules have become simpler. There's there's an evolution that's taken place. In retrospect, it was the best thing that ever happened. That mm. that drama. Um, I'm not. I'm not unhappy. I'm happy with what I'm doing, but I'm thrilled for the people that stayed on and they've turned it into a better organisation and it's better for hunters. It's way, way better now um, because it is, um, it's it's way more professional, you know, and it's it's got more longevity about it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, when it moved into, because it, it was a, an authority sitting on the side That's of the right, public yeah. service. Um, the public service didn't like it because it was this this entity, you know. Um, it was it had an air of being politicised, um, whereas the uh, you know, and that meant it was hard to get credibility. So, 
the way it is now though that it's well it's within the public service it's it's managed according to the public service rules that also means that there's a whole lot of resources that go into it there's mm. more research um there's more um focus on service delivery oh they, and they, they calculate the benefits yeah yeah all that, that great stuff yeah yeah you know and so that makes a massive difference so um I'm a huge supporter of the concept. I would love to see it get going in Queensland. And again, the the only reason it isn't in Queensland is that you only have one House of Parliament. If you had if you had a, a second House of Parliament, yeah. someone would have the balance of power. It'd be in, you yeah. know. Um, however, that that doesn't mean that Queenslanders should give up the fight. Um, and again, the APDHA great supporter of public land hunting anywhere. We've got, of course, New South Wales. We've got separate arrangements in the Northern Territory um, where APDHA members are working with the Northern Territory government in national parks, uh, you know, hunting with dogs in national parks. We're asked to go and do um, various things, Darwin dump, the rubbish dump. Mm. Um, we're required to go in there, uh, uh, you know, as part of a, a, a pest animal management thing, as part of the African Swan and Fever program. Try and just keep pigs, you know, back from where there's, um, you know, human food that might carry African swine fever, that sort of thing. So, the the best thing for hunting in the long run, I think, is and we're trying to model that is, don't be these rebels without a cause out on the edge, you know, living your best life. Like you've got to be involved with the process. So, for instance, you know, our organisation. As soon as anyone mentioned African swine fever, we jumped on that. We just started making calls and saying, right, we're bumping into pigs all the time. We've got thousands of people bumping into thousands of pigs every day. Um, you know, is there anything we can help with? And we've been embraced wholeheartedly. Mm. Um, uh, initially, it was um, uh, Australian Pork Limited. They're the commercial producers. They came and spoke at an AGM we had and said, look, this is really serious. They flew to Darwin for an AGM we had. They flew to Darwin and, and said, this is really serious. Um, we're going to need everyone's help. You know, we're all buggered if this gets in. Um, you know, rah, rah, rah. So for, for your information, African swine fever is in Timor. Uh, the last lot, I think, was uh, was found in New Guinea. So we're within kilometres now. Mm-hmm. We're the only place it isn't. Well, I think in New Zealand, sorry. Um, everywhere else in the world, it is. Uh, and of course, it changes everything because not only is it a huge economic impact, but it changes hunting mm. because everything then is a threat of transfer of the disease. And um, so some areas are a chance to just be shut up. Um, some areas um, you mightn't be able to hunt in a way you have before. You know, we might have to wear hazmat suits or something stupid. I don't know. But anyway, so the point of all that rave was to. That more benefits come from being part of the hunting process, the, the hunting political legal process, uh, because through that, say, that specific example, um, we now have a network of, of public servants in several states who know who we are. We've, we've spoken at, their, at meetings and conferences. They know we're not idiots. They're still unsure of how we can fit into things. But... We're being invited to talk at the at the table, to sit there at the table. Pig chasers. Who would have thought that? You know, but that's from being involved. So the that's why 
you know, I, I keep saying to people, get an, get an R licence in New South Wales. It doesn't matter whether you're going to hunt in public land or not. It just adds to the numbers. Become involved and then you get all this other information about hunting. Mm. The people who are working in that department can go, oh, look, we've got X thousand people who, you know, who are hunting in New South Wales. That carries weight. It has a, and as, as we've seen, um, when they do the economic modelling, you know, hunting and recreational fishing are second only to beef. Yeah. Hunting on its own comes in number four in New South Wales, and that's more than wool, wheat, barley, you know, lambs, like all of that, like all of that is subordinate to hunting in terms of the economic uh, impact. Mm. That wouldn't be known if it wasn't no, no. for the public land hunting system. I think that's a really good point, and more importantly, around that that economic measurement. I also wonder if you know there's a there's a there's another overlay on that is that whilst you you, you look at it from an economic generator, you know, and compare it to things like wool and, and uh, you know wool and wheat and so on. What I find most interesting about hunting is that unlike those industries, hunting is this weird thing where you go, okay, government, you need a job done. Well, I'm coming up. I'm going to pay to do the job. By the way, and I, you know, it's like you said. It's like you got if you want to contract to to mow the grass for the side of the highway. You go, oh no, no, don't don't bother charging me, mate. I'll buy all the gear and I'll mow because I just like really like mowing grass. You know, yeah. it's it's kind of like this. Yeah, this it's, a gift, it's the gift that keeps on giving. You know, you know, hunters. It's all it's all outlay. Yeah. You know, and, and, I don't know how many deer I shot, but I'm, it's still got to be in, you know, the kilo is still got to be in a couple of hundred bucks per kilo every deer, you know. The, oh, sure. you know, the, the real outlay, you know. So, um, and then, so, it's, then there's, as we had the conversation with Andy not long ago, there's all of the mental health, uh, physical health well, benefits of just yeah. getting out there and doing these things, being active. And Well, the, the other thing that, that is, a, a like, as soon as you get out of, out of into regional areas, Hunting is normal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a normal thing. Um, there's a, a a cousin of mine runs a paid hunting property, um, and uh, you know a few other things. He's he's a he's entre- entrepreneurial type, um, produces good cattle, all that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, he just comes, you know, from a family that says, yeah, well, of course, you know, people are going to hunt. Why don't they? You know, they'll pay. You know, all right. So they do that, and a couple of uh, of I uh, did some guiding for a, a mob that came up from Sydney, and I knew the block. And and when we're, you know, I'm sh- I'm taking them around, I'm showing them, oh, there'll be a pig there, oh, there's one, you know, that sort of thing. And um, they said, oh, you know, it's funny being in the country, you know, and they were full on the full city unit, you know, um, very family oriented people, and they all lived in the same suburb and everything, and they were they were absolutely fascinated because they'd gone to the servo in this little town and as soon as they pulled up uh the guy at the servo said ah you're heading up to so-and-so's place and they said yeah well how'd you know oh no, no, no. and they were telling the story i said how would someone know that and i said well you're wearing camo and i said yeah and i said well you're a car full of lebanese guys wearing camo in this little town <laughs> There's only going to be one place you're going. And they went, oh, really? Well, they didn't react like like we thought they might. I said, no, because you're spending your money at the servo. 
you're buying, you know, things to take up to the to the camp. You know, this, everyone in town knows what you're there for, and they're going hooray. So all through regional Australia, where there are pay properties or where, like the Nundal Pub, how well oh, yeah. do you pay to bloody to to hunters? You know, uh, the Nundal, you know, anywhere around Nundal, around Pilliga. Like, yeah, I find um, the uh, the bakery or the the server Walker. They know yeah. us. We stop at the same server and the same bakery. Sometimes we share it around, but most of the, and they they ask how we got on. Yeah, and you might it might be twice a year, three times a year, if that. I remember. Yeah, and see, they, to them, it's a great thing. It's it's that's like export income for a country, because mm. that's money that's coming from somewhere else. It isn't just circulating around the town. That's all new money coming in every time. See, sometimes I get asked, you know, how do you get onto private country? And I give people the same lecture. I said, what you've got to do is hunt country the same way that you would hunt an animal. And that's you've got to be out there for a start. And it's got to be your mission that you're going to learn something every time you go. So, um, you know, so it might be you and the family might, instead of going to watch the football at, um, you know, Suncorp Stadium or whatever it is now, um, uh, you know, or, Instead of doing that, you might drive out to Mitchell or Miles or bloody Roma for the weekend. So you go for the drive out everywhere you stop on the way. Don't buy any groceries. Don't pack up the car with chisels and things like that from, you know, from Aldi in uh, in your suburb. Stop at every bloody place. Get fuel. If you need new tyres, buy them in Roma. Don't buy them at, you know, at Bill's Tyres or Us. Like in the, in the city, go like make that's your mission. How much money can you spend of your discretionary spending on a trip like that? Oh, you know, where are you guys from? You know, because I'll know you're, you're different. You know, oh well, you know, we're we're going on a bit of a tour. We're, we love hunting, so we're just out, uh, you know, talking to some landholders, you know, about hunting. Um, and you don't have to say anything much more than that. Sooner or later, someone will say, "Oh, you like it hunting a bit? I know a place," you know, or whatever. It mightn't happen the first time. You've got to be seen a few times because people are watching you in the country. Everyone knows every different vehicle, you know. So if, say if I get if I get new country somewhere somewhere out of my zone, first thing I do is get the numbers uh, and names of all the neighbours, and I ring them and say, "Hello, you don't know me," because the first thing they're doing is going, "Who's this bastard? Am I supposed to know him?" Like, now that's a standard cocky thing. They're just going, "What? Why is someone ringing me?" You know, like it's is it about a cow. You know, is it, is it that, that drain pipe I've got to get? You know, and I just say, you don't know me. My name's Ned Makem. I'm ringing you because I'm going to be hunting next door on so-and-so's place. Um, you're going to see a vehicle that looks like this. Um, and uh, I just wanted you to know this is the number plate. Uh, so when you see that vehicle on your road, that's me. You know, if you like, I'll let you know when I'm going to be in the area. Oh, no, don't worry about that, mate. You know, da 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 but then part of that is that you're, you've acknowledged to them, the first thing, that they don't know you and you're acknowledging that. The second thing is that you're going to be in their area with a strange vehicle and you recognise that that could be a pain in the ass for them because then they're going to go, who's that bastard? What's he doing here? You know, we had those bloody sheep stolen. Is that the sheep man? You know, like, whereas if you just, you're straight up front, then they just go, okay, well, you're not the person we have to worry about. So after a while, I call them again, you know, right? Yeah, just letting you know, I was, you know, over there at the weekend. Um, now I just wanted to find out. I use dogs, as you've as you've been told, you know, rah rah. 
what do you want me to do if the dog crosses the fence? I can get them back, but what do you, do you want me to ring you before I cross the fence? Do you want? But it could be like two o'clock in the morning. But you know, what do you want me to do? And I mostly just say, if someone ever says, "Don't let that dog cross that fence," because I'll just shoot it. I just go right. Well, I'm just not hunting anywhere near there because that bloke's crazy. You know, most of them just say, "Oh, I'm oh, just getting back." You know, is he right with stock? Yeah, yeah, right. He is right. No. And then you've initiated a conversation that where you can cross that boundary under certain circumstances. Sooner or later, I'll start saying to them, um, like, Jesus, some pigs on your side of the fence, um, or I saw a big one there. If you've got a good enough relationship by then, I'll say, well, did you get them? No, because I don't have permission yet. Well, for Christ's sake, get into them. Right. So you're okay if I jump the fence? Yep, good. And you're away. So all, all the stuff about um getting countries all about trust and relationship it's not about trickery or buying them cartons of grog or you know anything like that it's about um <laughs> you know it's like you know a duck and a pigeon and they're one's doing the, the duck dance and the pigeon's going i don't even know what that is you know piss off you know but if the duck suddenly did a pigeon dance the pigeon would go oh crazy looking animal <laughs> <laughs> And it's on. So you've got to That's do the difference pigeon. between city and country people. <laughs> you got to do your pigeon dance. I'm, I'm writing that one down. Yeah, no, so I'm going to name the episode the duck dance. That's right. You can do the duck dance. You've got to do the pigeon dance. <laughs> Look, you know, you, people might be listening and saying, oh, you know, that, well, you know, there's a lot in that. The thing is, it's exactly true. And this is one of the reasons why. We family holiday in central New South Wales. Mm. Oh. Um, it, and I was in parks, staying at a B and B with the family, because that's how we travel. We do, we do, we no, sorry, not B and B, an Airbnb. So staying at a house, that's how we yep. travel. We don't, we don't haul a caravan. We don't take tents. We just use Airbnb. The, right. That Airbnb. So, you know, it's just the ute and it's a couple of days with the food in the esky for the trip and the clothes. And that's how we travel. We even don't even take many clothes because everyone's got a washing machine. So, you know, so it's a real light on trip. And we were in parks and the Airbnb people, we met them, they there. Ten minutes, conversation, retired sheep. I got a property on the road between parks and Orange mate we got deer and stuff on there you're welcome to them so got a standing order to hunt a property down there never been down there but there well and in fact what we did was when we left parks to go to orange because we did a big road trip we pulled into the property we said look well we'd come and pass drove the property found where the property was had it was on there for three or four hours he, he you know we jumped in the truck he, he gave me the tour so this is this, this is it so that's it. So that kind of that idea that if you, you know, if you want to get private land as much as public land, go for a holiday, go for a drive, talk spend to people. money out there. Talk, yeah, exactly. People notice if you're spending money, like, and I, I tell people to just say, look, I, um, you know, especially when there's a drought or there's been a flood or something like that, get your bloody hunting shirt on that's got your club emblem on it or something like that. Get out there and, you know, you they're not going to trust you to go in and, and rescue their cow or, or build their new fence. But you can just say, well, I'll come out deliberately to spend my money because I know you guys are doing it tough. Spend the money in the tire shop. Spend the money, you know, at the supermarket. Tell everyone that you're a hunter and you're out there to back them up, you know. Huh. Um, 
the other reason to do that, uh, I don't want to sound cynical and I'm not at all, but cockies have a lot of political power. They have way more political power than hunters. They're the best friends we've got um, in the whole hunting thing. Uh, so the better relationship we as a group have with landholders, yeah. the, the more we say, we are hunters, we are on your side, the more they'll say, they're all right, don't push them around. That's already worked in New South Wales in the 90s. Um, for a very brief period, pig-dogging was outlawed. It lasted about two weeks. And it was the farming lobby that had it reinstated, not us, because we didn't exist. We were all just pig hunters running around. It was the uh, it was the farming lobby that said, no, 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 no. We need these guys. You know, they're they're doing us a service. We we need them. Let's just work out another way. So that that's when people say, oh, they'll never ban it. They can ban it. They can ban it. Stroke yeah. the yeah. You know. In, I was seeing listening to you talking about Pilliger. In fact. Tim and I followed your coattails into Narrabri once and uh, we inadvertently ran into the editor of the Narrabri Times. Yeah. He knew you and we yeah. ended up down at the uh, Narrabri um, uh, Tourist Bureau. Yeah. On a photo shoot about hunting tourism in Narrabri. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the courier, just a courier yep. there, the Narrabri courier. Uh, famous country newspaper. Um, yeah, well, see, they, they, I'd given an address to the council um, about, uh, you know, the value of hunting tourism and they were, and their tourist information centre was was all up for it. You know, they 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 love anything that brings tourists to, to a place like Narrabri. Um, they have really, really good maps there of the forest. It's sort of sexy maps with, you know, colourful things, but they've got all the creeks marked and it's really easy, like, you know, it. I used to just direct people to that map rather than any of the other maps, the proper, you know, topo maps. I said, don't worry about that. You just need to know where the creek lines are and where all those roads go, where they join up. You know, you can find it all then. It doesn't matter how bushy it is or whatever. Um, but they were very pro. Oh, like country areas, they they hate dickheads and, uh, and they like hunters. You've just got to make it clear which one you are, mm. you know. So very proud of their areas. I spent oh, yeah. a lot of time out in the regions um, with my work. Uh, yeah. I just, just had a week out from here to Longreach and back, um, yeah. stopping at all of the different regions um, with various different people along the way. And that um, social capital that you talk about, uh, you know, and, you know, spending your dollar there and, and building up a bit of social capital in the area. People remember who you are. Like, mm -hmm. I get it. You know, I, I, uh, I bought all sorts of stuff while I was out there and, Including stopping at the local butcher store just to you know buy a cube roll for you know 150 bucks or whatever it was rather than get a mistake back home, um, they they recognise it you know and and those guys that are in the butcher shop, they know everybody. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. know everybody and yeah, they yeah, certainly you've, know you've heard what I'm saying for and whatnot. Yeah. So, but you know when they talk about six, um, what is it six. Uh, six levels of separation or what is it six something of separation anyway that, that you can get to anyone in the world uh, yeah um, you get to anyone in the world you're only six people away from it well in australia you're only ever about two people away from a good property to hunt everyone somehow is linked to something somewhere three maximum you know so the the person um and again i, I try to talk to young blokes about it. i said 
when you're pissed and you're talking to that girl who's serving you in the bar, just imagine her father owns 100,000 acres of birch. You know, don't don't be a dickhead. Yeah. Show some respect, you know, say please, say thank you, all that sort of thing. Um, because everyone's linked somehow, somewhere, and you're representing hunters no matter what you're doing and where you are. You know, so um, just in any, even in the city, you know, the, the, the person serving you coffee could have an uncle on a property or his, you know, his uncle's best mate might have yeah. a place. So you just don't know who you're talking to. No, my 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 wife come home from work one day, and I got a three year old at daycare. And she come home, she goes, "I reckon little Xavier's got a girlfriend." I said, "Oh, really? How much lands has her daddy got? Because otherwise, <laughs> she ain't qualified, buddy." <laughs> it's not happening. It's, um, I know it all sounds very mercenary and things like that, and no. I don't mean it to be like that. It's about having genuine relationships with people, but it it's sometimes there's a there's this cognitive gap. You may as well go to Greece as leave Sydney and go to, you know, somewhere like Inverell. It's a different country. There's a different culture. There's a different language. Um, and body language things matter a lot here because everyone's looking, you know. So what I'm trying to do is to fill some of that, some of that gap um, in understanding uh, you know, because sometimes you'll get people going, well, why well, landholders should welcome us because we're doing them a favour. Yeah. First mistake. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you might well be doing them a favour if they've asked you to do a favour. Otherwise, you're just a pest. It's the same as if you had a suburban block and with a veggie garden in the back, half of it dug up and half of it under veggies. And in the half that's dug up, it's full of worms, fantastic worms. We'll catch any fish known to man. Those worms are there. Like how many people that knock on the door are you going to say, yeah, no, no, no let's just go down there and dig up all that garden there and, and get the worms? It's going to be zero. Mm. However, you know, someone you meet at a barbecue or someone who's introduced you as the son of a great friend and that sort of thing, you might say, all right, you can come in this time and dig up on that side and, you know, get some worms, but bring us a fish, you know. Depending on what happens as a result there, you might then end up with lifetime access to the world's best worms. You might end up with nothing. Because to them, to a landholder, if they've got 20 you know, acres, 20,000 acres, 200,000 acres, that's still their backyard. That's still their vegetable garden to them. They don't see it in the same way that we go, oh, look at all that space. You know, there's, there's nothing there. Their soul's there. Their, their family's there, you know. The, the woman of the house is going to make the decision about whether she's comfortable with you being in the yard digging up the veggie garden. Um, same as if you're mowing people's lawns for a living. If the family isn't happy with you, it doesn't matter what the uh, what the bloke of the house thinks. If the family's not happy with you, you're not getting that gig. Likewise, though, you can charge an arm and a leg, part of what, and be fully accepted and they'll pay. Part of what they're paying for is that they can trust you, mm. that you're deaf, dumb, and blind when you're in their yard. Likewise, on a property, you know. Now, that's the sort of thing we've got to get to with the public land hunting because I think that we can be too shrill in that we should be able to have public land hunting. We demand the right to hunt public land. We own the land, you know, and all that sort of thing. In the end, there's some, you know, room full of public servants who, if they won lotto, they wouldn't be there. They'd just be going about their life like the rest of us if we won lotto. 
you know we wouldn't be working for dickheads we wouldn't be putting up with this we wouldn't be dealing with customers we'd be just on a banana land somewhere thinking about fun stuff so those people when when the hunting lobby is shrill and demanding this and demanding that there's a group of people in there who maybe hold the key to that and they're going oh my god do we want to deal with these idiots mm. you know like, what well, i don't want to have a meeting with them do you want to have a no no listen to them they're shrill you know whereas if you can come up with cogent argument um and benefits for the community and all sorts of things it might it doesn't play as well on social media well so and so he really stuck it to him yeah and so and so you know but if you can keep coming up with uh with reasoned arguments um and the right people pay attention it's it you build that relationship so that sooner or later someone says you know i think this might be worth a trial and that might be someone politically it might be someone in the public service it might be someone it might be some big powerful donor but we're being watched all the time on how we conduct ourselves so when we're being shrill i think do i really want a shrill person in my backyard digging up my worms what i want someone that you know can uh, you know definitely bring me back a good you know a good feed of fish or something like that it's i think where we make a mistake in um in in thinking that that fist pumping and foot stamping is going to get us anywhere i don't think it will it certainly attracts attention no but we we talked about the numbers earlier mm. you know the economic values the social values the health yeah. values all of those things they make a great argument and I've, it's always frustrated me and it, like it does everybody else but it's always frustrated me that a, a state like queensland can just say no to a legal industry sure they're, they're flat out saying no we don't want that industry which other states and countries accept widely yeah. we're saying no we don't want something as big as the beef industry no mm. we don't want 3,000 jobs. No, we don't want all of these inputs and health values. We just don't want it. That's what they're saying. And, and I, uh, it frustrates me that you can't have a reasoned argument. And, and potentially it's because of all of the things that you've spoken about. Maybe we've stomped our feet too loud. Um, certainly this podcast uh, over the last uh, few months has sort of changed, not sorry, not not changed the way I think about it, but, but certainly opened my eyes to other perspectives. And talking to Reese the other day, about um you know it's not all about public hunting it's about yeah. public access yeah you know that's that's everyone that you know um, you know the, the the guy that lives way out west that can't afford a holiday overseas or down in new south wales should really have access to our public lands to pursue that pastime whether it's for driving fishing hunting or, or what have you it's a really interesting perspective so 100 percent improve i think Reese is doing a great job too. I'm certainly not directing anything his way. Um, what, no. what, see, I, what I what I wonder is what, why can't we, you know, from something like this podcast that you guys have developed now uh, and the work that's already been done, like why don't we have, a, you know, a summit of, of, of hunting organisations um, so that everyone is on the same page? We have a, you know, um, uh, you know, there's a few hunting organisations doing it in general terms at the moment. Finding what are our common ground? Where, what, where, what can we agree on without having to 
check anything further? Is there Are there three or four things that we can agree on or something that we can work on together? So in Queensland, why don't we look at um, who's who in Queensland of all the hunting organisations? Can we talk to them all together, um, either one by one or all in one Zoom meeting? You know, in, in a better time, we might all go and, you know, go to the Breakfast Creek Hotel and have a steak and talk. Um, and just say, well, what, what can we all agree on in relation to public land hunting? So instead of there being a disparate group of voices and feeling that frustration, so you feel frustration when you don't feel like you're being listened to, you mm. feel like you're being ignored or you feel like you're being disrespected, I get all that, don't worry. Um, the, what matters in the long run, though, is whether you get where you're going or not, not whether you, not how you feel on the way, because there's big, like this. How many times, and I'm a New South Welshman and a proud one at State of Origin time, how, how many times has Queensland won in the last 30 seconds of a game? You know, like because they would just be going, we can still win, we can still win, we can still win. And and someone would do something. And because I, I was, you know, I was sort of from the Wally Lewis era and it'd often be him. It'd just be somewhere doing nothing, suddenly he's fighting blokes off and he's, you know, and then he's just got in in the corner and I'm just going, ah, what? 25 <laughs> seconds? Jesus Christ. <laughs> People will be just screaming their heads off in New South Wales about that. That's a sort of, that, that's what happens if you don't get frustrated, you get focused, mm. you know, or you don't get relaxed and don't get, that, you know, comfy and think, oh, we've got it all under control. So I just wonder, is there something, you know, in the power of every hunting organisation starting to talk as one voice, you know? And, you know, that can be a matter of, we okay, we're not going to discuss this, we're not going to discuss that, we're not going to talk about this old thing or that thing or the other. We just want to get public land hunting. You know, have we got any suggestions? And some people will say, well, we should be burning down Parliament. And, oh, you know, great, that's great. And we should fight them in the streets. Yeah, great, great, great. Eventually, a, a decent plan will emerge. And it doesn't matter if it takes 50 years. It just matters whether you get it. It mightn't be us that gets it. It might be our kids. So how good would it be if, if three generations ago people had had this fight? Mm and thought about it and made it, you know, and it worked its way up. You know, in New South Wales, it's all down to John Tingle because he was the one parliamentarian for the then Shooters Party. And he landed in a position where he had the balance of power. And he said, oh, right, let's do this. And they sort of, oh, okay, yes, yes, we'll do that. You know, and it's gone through trials and tribulations and it's still there. Mm. And now it's a part of the, it's a part of the fabric of the public service and there's there's people who um whose careers are built on that that's a much harder thing to throw out you know so i just wonder is there something we'd be in it we'd be in it in seconds we'd, and any resources we've got we'd put them in you know so you know is, is there some something that we can do so that there is a you know a strategic focus because we can say all we like it should be so you know, I should be rich. I'm not. But me saying I should be rich, you know, doesn't make it happen. I could just, I could just got to keep working. And one day I'll come up with a really good idea where, you know, there's some great value in being a fat and bald old man and, and it'll be worth millions. Yeah. yeah. Look, Reese alluded to that too with, with, with Catter's party here in Queensland, you know, and saying that 
because um, Reese has has tells a you know a long and sad story of his time involved in it. You know, he's been doing it for ten years and. He's made some significant con commitments to it as well, you know, um, mm. joining political parties, you know, get, take, you know, going to, you know, conferences, trying to get things up and so on like that. But he was talking about, yeah, you know, it's not, it's not such a, uh, it, it's not such a, uh, uh, the idea of swinging a whole political party. It's about being in the right place at the right time. And as you, in, as you refer to what happened in New South Wales. Whenever you talk about this, oh, you know, you know, the idea of 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 some kind of summit or that kind of thing like that. Um, I think it's an interesting idea. Uh, I think it's the idea is so uh, you know it, it's it's I don't know if it's one voice, but what I think it's it's one supportive choir, if you know what I mean. I think yeah, yeah. yeah. The difference is that there needs to be the recognition of the significant differences, but the idea is it's all kind of moving in the, in the same direction. And it, uh, you know, for the one, I'm not sounding too philosophical for the, the I always think of a particularly historic factor around that. And that if, if you, um, and I'll, I'll try not to bore too many people, but Cooper Klan, when he was going to invade Japan, was worried about you know what was going to happen when his his army crossed the sea of Japan and invaded Japan and and his generals are saying you know it's the, we'll we'll cross that archipelago in a blink of an eye and, and you know they're all in fighting and he said yeah but his concern was the five fingers would create a fist if they were given the right motivation and I always kind of think of it that way you know it's it's there is fingers you know but. How do you get those fingers to form something of of greater value than their individual self? You know, so you've got to give them something to hang on to. That's right. You know, that's it. Yeah. We moving in the right direction about. So you know, you can have wholly different organisations, wholly focused on their own individual um, pursuits, which is what you want. You know, the feel and game guys and stuff like that. But the idea of you're all still going in the same direction, and you know there, there's a there's a network that you can say, well, you know what, we're, we're having a bit of luck with this politician. How about you have a chat with that politician? Yeah. We're not having any luck with this crew. Uh, so I think well, see, that would be right that, a benefit. One of the things that we um, have worked on is building a research base um, of stuff that's specifically relating to uh, hunting then uh, hunting with dogs and pigs. So we'll find stuff for everybody, and that's what we'll use in our submissions and things like that. We'll say, and, you know, you know, whatever, 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 um, uh, of course, and that's supported by the uh, CSIRO, which on page four of, you know, Report X said, you know, super-duper pig dogs or something. You know what I mean? It's, it's we'll find the information because there's a whole lot of information that's taken as, as gospel. It's just bullshit. So, for mm. instance, when, when you're talking about animal, you know, pest control with pigs, oh, well, we can't use doggers because a pig dog is just dispersed pigs. Now, there's only ever been one study in Australia on that, and it found exactly the opposite. So it was done in Namaji uh, National Park near Canberra. Um, it, it's, it's a well-known study, um, and it shows that, they, they had collared pigs and they had pig hunters go in and catch the pigs and all this sort of stuff. Um, and then they did a baiting and trapping program. So the key findings were that the pigs didn't disperse to Mars. They stayed within their own home area. 
they just went to either end of it, you know, uh, to avoid the dogs. They didn't leave it. Uh, and the second thing is it had no, absolutely no impact on the baiting and trapping program. It didn't stop the pigs going into traps. It didn't stop them taking the baits. Now, I don't know how many times I've been told, you know, we've gone to meetings in Sydney where they're talking about, oh, you know, we're going to have the pest control conference and we're going to talk about all these things. And as soon as you say you're from the Pig Hunters Association, they just look at you like you're covered in spiders, you know. <laughs> they say, well, you know, you've, <laughs> you know, well, how quaint. Oh, well, look, you've, you know, got a nice shirt on. Well done. Um, and I react really badly. <laughs> in those sort of situations because usually to get there i've had to get up at three o'clock and then drive for an hour and a half to get to the plane and then you've had a, you there. haven't had a latte you've had a crappy caramel coffee from the yeah, bp yeah. and you've got some hungry uh, appleby type sort of looking down his nose and um anyway so sometimes you know there's a dramatic response but they will always say things like yeah but pigs just disperse them. i say okay can you prove that well, everyone knows it. Okay, well, I can prove exactly the opposite with a scientific study that says this and this and this. And they will argue with you. Oh, but that's only one study. Oh, but hang on. You use the one study where a person surmised that hunters must have moved pigs in Western Australia, the so-and-so study, that's the other one we've got, um, to say that hunters translocate pigs. Oh, well, they do. Yeah, the study A doesn't show that. It's only one study. That's what you're saying this one's no good for. The study doesn't show that they've translocated pigs. It's that's the the uh, that's the opinion of the person yeah. who wrote the report. And so, what we like to do then is is get because we can have opinions, and you know the saying. So we can have opinions all day long, but we need a lot more data because eventually the weight of data will either have an effect for us or will it, it will absolutely expose the paucity of the arguments against us. It will be, someone will just have to say, I just don't want you to have it. That's what it gets down to. Someone will have to say that because there'll be this much evidence coming at them. So, you know, and you're going, okay, well, I don't understand. Why, well, don't you think that would be like, I don't So they either have to come up with um, a scientific argument against hunting you know, in pest control or access to public land, um, or just admit we just don't want to do it. So eat shit, you know. So in New South Wales, the great fear was, oh, the, everyone's going to get shot and there's going to be, you know, rampaging hooligans and things like that. There hasn't even been a near miss in New South Wales. In all the public land hunting, there hasn't even been a near miss, let alone an accident, let alone a fatality. So the truth is that it's a really safe activity, mm. you know, even with fossickers and people riding horses and all this other stuff. There hasn't been even a near miss. That's right. Well, look, it's always, as we say, it's to hunt at Nundle, the risk is to drive there and drive back. Yeah. Yep. I used to say that to landholders, you know, when they'd, we'd be having these meetings and they'd be going, but what about, well, I won't know who's hunting next door. I said, you don't know now, mate. <laughs> you know, what, did your neighbour ring you up and say, I've got uh, Bill Bloggs from Belmore and he's going to be there and uh, and what, do you get approval of that? Well, yeah, that, that's different, you know. <laughs> All right, yeah, okay. Or, or you know, the, the, you've already, I said, you all ride horses, right? Because we had the... The figures, the most dangerous thing you can do in New South Wales recreationally is ride a horse. 
you know, but they'd all have their kids on horses and they'd be, you know, yeah, yeah, a certain percentage of your kids. So how many kids would be here? You know, there might be 80 kids. Okay, well, two of them are going to be in wheelchairs within two years. That's the, that's the percentages. And, of course, that went over like a lead balloon. But, but the di diplomacy is not my thing. I need other people. Uh, to <laughs> but the, the, you've got to have the data and you've got to, you've got to be looking for the data. Uh, you've got to have it readily accessible. Um, you know, we, we share with anybody. Um, um, you know, we've shared our media and, uh, and social media tactics with a um, well-known organisation uh, a while ago, and I think that was of some use. So, like, we're, we're, we're all up for it, partly because with bow hunters, we're, we're, we're at the front line, you know. Shooting is further back because, A, there's more of you, yeah. uh, and bow hunting and hunting with dogs looks messier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think um, the the other thing to add to that is that the the organisations or the people within the organisations or just people that aren't in organisations but they are hunters of some description um, need to get over the fact that their pursuit is more important than the next guys, right? Yeah. I, I'm I'm not, and I'll, I'll I'll happily say it, and I I don't know if I should or not, and I'll consider editing it out later. Um, I. I, I'm not a I'm not a pig dog uh, hunting fan, and mm. I'm not a duck shooting fan. Um, mm. Do I have a bad thing to say about any of them? No, it's just my preference to take out something a little bit more precision, like with a rifle. But that's because that's what floats my boat. Mm. I don't think that what you're doing is wrong. And even if I did, I should understand that it's a legal pastime. It's an absolutely legal activity. It helps people. And just because I don't like it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And if we can put that aside, the groups, the people, and everyone should be able to come together without saying my, my interest is more, more important than yours. It's because like otherwise one, you won't get anywhere. Well, it's like saying one brick is more important than another brick. You start pulling the bricks out. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the end of it, you know? Yeah, look, I, I completely agree. Um I've been lucky enough to do lots of different types of hunting in lots of different situations, both here and overseas. And um, one of the things I most respect about Australian hunting is there is, even though there is differences, those differences aren't as um, marked as they are in other parts of the world. You know, in other parts of the country, you know, it, you, it's, it's, a, it's a very big line. Mm. Um, and I've been lucky enough to kind of cross that line, but I, I've seen that line firsthand. Um, so to me, you know, the the and I, I think it, it, what Ned said in the very beginning, one thing that I think we all share is it's bloody hard to explain why you like hunting so much. Mm. It's 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 a it's a you know it's something that I you know as as a as a, a middling rider have struggled with constantly to actually put it in a words why you like hunting so much so to me the pursuit of hunting is what this is all about not the pursuit of hunting via a mechanism mm. obviously yeah. certain mechanisms are you know uh, there's legality in that but as far as i'm concerned if it's a legal mechanism it's a legal mechanism yeah um, well the... you know and 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 even with you know and and that even 
bleeds over to things like shooting. I'm not a big fan of shooting for pest, but I'm completely understanding that just because I'm a big fan or not has no relevance whatsoever to the necessity of it. It's like, um, you know, it, and me personally, you know, I don't like shooting predators. Mm. I just don't like doing it. Um, mm. Shot one a couple of weeks ago and, you know, uh, I was, the, the, the property owner was very, very happy that I did it, um, very happy. But, you know, it wasn't something that I was overly, you know, I, I, I personally didn't didn't like it, but I know that, you know, I knew the benefits of what we would, you know, he's, he's running cattle and there's, and there's wild dogs there, you know. Yeah. That's it. But you see, it's, it's, situation. It, it's an absolute um, evolutionary trait in uh, in humans to see their tribe as more important than the next tribe. Sure. Um, it, it's absolutely hardwired into us. Mm. That's the basis of racism. It's the basis of religious bigotry. It's the basis of everything. So it's a, um, for some people, it's automatic. For others, it's, um, it can be triggered, but it can be overcome um, by trying to, you know, by sort of altruistic um sort of means and for other people they don't they just don't see it at all they'll just you know every, everything's group groovy you know each to their own so um so I, I guess i'd regard myself as a libertarian i don't care what anyone's doing as long as they're not hurting anyone um yeah. even if they're hurting themselves i don't care that's their business you know they can take what they want they can use what they want as long as they're not driving a car or they're not bloody involving kids or you know what i mean like i'm, I'm i don't make too many judgments about people i don't feel like i'm qualified to judge people just <laughs> Just for the for the shooters, we used to uh, make the point that uh, when we'd bump into shooters who would mock doggers, and we'd say, "Well, we're not the ones shooting up the roads, no one's who's doing that," you know. And so there was always a, there's always a, always a comeback. There's always a, a a bit of something that someone can say, you know. Um, and but that's not the 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 thing is to look for the commonality. Yeah. And and the the commonality is this that the people who hate us hate all of us. They hate all of us equally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're the only ones who see the divisions. To the people who hate us, um, they just hate all of us. We may as well all be a different race of people and they're all Ku Klux Klan members. It's it's that level of, of hate. So it's their objective is one at a time. And we were we we fall into that. We'll go, oh, well, you know, they're only after them. So no worries. We'll just keep quiet and we'll be allowed to keep doing our thing. The advantage we have as pig dogs is we're right up there. We're, we're attacked every time. They go first for us. Bow hunters, very similar. Um, and that's been our own fault too. You know, we've been disorganised. Um, it's been unregulated. You know, that I, I would suggest all that's going to change about pig hunting um, really soon. I, I think it'll become a much more regulated activity. Uh, I also think that's the only way it's going to survive, you know. Um, but of course, you know, and the, you know, the, the oh, they'll never stop me, I'm an outlaw type, um, that, it doesn't matter what they think and whatever. If they want to stop us, they'll stop us. So the only way is to come into the, um, in from the, the wilderness sort of thing and come into the fold. 
Yeah, but that that statement that statement's um, absolutely valid. And you look at what's going on in in Victoria around um, an R license style program for deer down in Victoria. You know, they can't stop me. I've been doing it for years. Those comments uh, have, have have come out. Uh, but you just got to look at what New South Wales have done with the R license. Again, back to the numbers and back to the figures. You know, if you put some regulation around it, then you're capturing the data, then you're capturing the economic yeah. value, etc., etc., etc. And you're forming this much bigger picture. So yeah. no, pe hopefully people will get over that. And I think they'll be forced to, like you said, it's coming um, for uh, for pig dogging. There's no doubt yeah. about it. There's, there's all of the animal welfare bits and pieces around it. Um, and, and like you say, it's it's interesting to hear that you think it would potentially be for the better. Um, oh, I've got no doubt it'll be for the better. Yeah, yeah. But there's, yeah there's, there, there probably there'll be a fair few people that don't share that that view, but um, they might, they that's okay. Yeah, I think that's, okay. that's, a, that's a really good point, you know, and it's probably a good point. And the, the idea of that, you know, longevity comes through mainstreaming. This thing, it's, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's it's not it, you don't you don't want to be on the periphery. You want to be in the mainstream. I mean, I think I think Arnold Schwarzenegger said that about you know the whole um you know, you know bodybuilding and fitness industry. He said once upon a time we were kind of like, you know, a bit of a freak show. Now you know every second shop is either a gym or a coffee shop. You know, it it just became yeah part of the mainstream at the circus didn't it that's right it was the strong man looking like a lot of those movies that he was in when he first out they were kind of kind of circus like you know yeah but it's now you know going to the gym you know once upon a time they used to literally say you know don't go to the gym it'll have all these adverse effects to for you now they say go to the gym and has all these wonderful benefits so i think that's a good point the idea of that actually getting it part of the mainstream is actually or, or the main you know the regulated mechanism is actually a way to guarantee survival rather or, or at least move towards guaranteeing survival rather than trying to be you know the outlaw on the hill yeah well, look, look, look at the ufc look how it started the yes yeah. free for yeah. no rules you know and it was it was it was a circus and it was wildly entertaining and then they started getting banned in different places then yep. they sold out um uh and you know the new guys bought it and they went to the various regulators and said what do we have to do and i said well you'll have to have this rule and you'll have to have this rule and you have to have this rule and i can remember people talking about it at the time going oh that'll bugger it oh no what we like? and it's the biggest thing and it's grown like it's they bought that for two million they bought the ufc for two million dollars imagine if Man. Think of the money they've made out of that now. Um, and that they mainstreamed it. They went exactly the opposite direction of uh, free for all, who's the baddest person, and you know, oh, what would work? Punching someone in the nuts? Yes, that works. Hooray, let's do that. You know, now it's got rules and it's got um and it's now it's sanctioned. And That's now right. it's, it, now there's there's any number of people mimicking the same thing. There's pathways, it'll be in the Olympics. You know, yes. that'll be one of those things that happens. So to me, that's where I find some of our guys like that more than um, some of the other analogies I try. But that's that's what I'd like to see then is just go, okay, well, what is it that you want? And we've got two reviews going on at the moment, one in Queensland, one in New South Wales. The New South Wales submission went in um, yesterday. The Queensland one's been in since May. We've um, had the opportunity to have a meeting since then. Um, 
uh, we've had, um, we've been asked to put in some more paperwork, explain, you know, what do you mean about X? How does that work? You know, and we've explained it to the best of our ability. Then we'd have another, you know, thank God for Zoom and things like that, you know. Um, so I got asked today because I put up a, a social media post and just said, um, okay, so we're, you know, we've got that submission in, we've got another submission and I cryptically said, and, you know, we're really, um, we're grateful to our, uh, to our members for their support and, uh, you know, we're looking to get them a benefit. So we're, and then a guy said, did you, did you get a hearing or was it lip service? And I said, well, we haven't had anything in New South Wales because we've only just put it in. But in Queensland, we've been treated with nothing but respect. Nothing but respect. That's not to say that, you know, our ideas are going to come up. But we, they wanted a submission. We didn't do a, yeah, we should just be able to do it because my dad did it and it's fun. And, you know, and what about what pigs do to lambs anyway? You know, geez, I just cringe whenever I hear someone say that. You know, right. Okay, so that's your argument. So we've done a submission that holds water, um, we think. Uh, we've been told that it was a good submission. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to have the right effect. You know, I'm, not, I'm definitely not preempting anything or hinting that we've been told anything. I'm just saying this far, thus far in this whole thing, we've been treated with respect because we did things the way they wanted. We explained it. We used some legal precedent. Um, we, we've got plenty of references to, to back up what we're saying, Australian references, research references. Um, we've got a, ways that it can be done um, that uh, address some of the animal welfare concerns, ways that it can be prosecuted. Um, you know, some, some key indicators that would lead to prosecution. Because we're, what we're trying to do is to go the UFC way and go, what is it that you want in terms of regulation that would work and they don't tell you um but as they ask questions about specific things you can make a, a decent guess and go okay that's what's really troubling them that mm -hmm. bit right there how do we address that single word you know so i just think that's we've got to look uh keep getting back to the, you know like a bit of bit of foot stomping is good but that can't be our only thing you know i've certainly stomped the foot different time but you've got to have something else to back it up and i think that's where we are now with particularly with public land hunting in queensland we've got to have a bigger plan and we've got to um we've got to help one another mm. you know we've got to look for opportunities to help one another and to um and to build one another up you know rising tide lifts all boats you know well, we can, it's, as you said mate i think the as a as a Closing statement, you, we, we've got to get that duck to look like a pigeon. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> we've got to get the, is it, we're ducks and they yeah. want pigeons, so we've got to kind of get duck, pigeon-like with us, with us weird oh. ducks. Yes. Us old ducks are going to get pigeon-like. Okay. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, Ned, I'm um, looking at the time. We've um, said, what have we put about an hour and a half on so far? Yeah, I, I don't know. Over. I can't yeah, see over. without my glasses on, so I've got no idea. It's okay, mate. So I think um, this is probably a good time as any to bring the conversation to a close. Um, I I don't think I've I've grinned as much. Um, mm. so uh, and uh, I I think the pigeon and duck's going to stay with me always. Mm. Mm. <laughs> the mental picture of 
put it into your I, I, I almost wish that we uh, we didn't already have a logo. Yeah, <laughs> it can be changed. It can be changed. Yeah, that's we didn't have that logo, you know, that campfire logo. Maybe there can be a cameo pigeon. We should develop a logo, a pigeon duck dance logo that we have as our secret signal to one another. That's right, that's it. Just, I don't know, pigeon duck, yeah, Okay. Then we could stage a coup. Mate, thank you very much for sharing, you know, your your. Toy the dog and dug the yeah. horse and how you got the pigging and, and your experiences and certainly your, your view on on uh, and even you know your view on uh, private land hunting has been really uh, insightful because you know we've focused heavily on on public land hunting but certainly you know that's very very useful information about private land hunting too which and let's think about it, it's all hunting so. Um, Again, thank you very much. Uh, and Ian, do you want to close us out? Or yeah, look, I, I, I find these conversations fascinating. You, know, you meet um, great people that have got a lot of history, and it's been a really fun conversation. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember to look behind me more often when I'm out wandering about. Um, I didn't cover too much of this off. I've never been pig hunting in my life. Um, I've shot a few pigs, but that's because they were in the way when I was trying to shoot deer. And yeah. um, you know, these things just happen sometimes um and it's it's something i think i'll do more of i've picked up the bow um both both the um the trad and the the compound and uh someone said to me they, they go together like cheese and wine uh, bows and pigs yeah, so um yeah. we'll see how that goes it, it does sound uh quite uh an exciting part of hunting but hopefully i'll get into it but you know thanks i echo um mark's statements it's it's been a great evening and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again no, thanks, thanks, man. It's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Thank Good you. On.